there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Sunday Helmet Hall of Fame in my basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is a very special episode of Baseball by Design. This is one that Dan Simon and I have been talking about for quite some time. Dan Simon, designer extraordinaire of Studio Simon, creator of so many great works of art out there in the minor league baseball world. Dan is on every single episode of Baseball by Design. So often when we record, we have these great conversations that have nothing to do with the episode at hand that we always have to cut away from the recording because, you know, the recordings would be too long and these, you know, these tangents are not really part of what we're talking about on that particular episode. So what with it being the holidays and what with it being sort of a special occasion, we just thought, let's have an episode where we fire up the recording, we pour ourselves a beer and just chat. Dan, Simon, happy holidays. What are you drinking? Happy holidays to you too. Let let me point out to our, your listeners. Our listeners, Dan. Okay. Our listeners that um, another thing that makes this episode different if not special is that every time we have recorded in the past save for when we were in Birmingham um we always record early in the morning right normally like anywhere between nine and ten o'clock my time which makes it um seven and eight o'clock your time which is like a full hour before I usually start drinking beer (laughs) so first of all cheers to the first ever evening recording and accompanied by beer and i am having a brooklyn brewery black chocolate stout and i want to point out that the brooklyn brewery logo this was designed by somebody paul i am certain as a graphic designer which both you and i are as a graphic designer you have heard of this logo was designed by the god who was the godfather of graphic design Saul Bass well yeah Saul Bass I that's a good answer but I I was thinking of Milton Glaser oh Milton Glaser of I Heart New York fame yep and also of the Brooklyn Brewery logo fame so Milton Glaser did the Brooklyn Brewery logo I don't know who designed the logo for the left hand peanut butter milk stout that I'm drinking. Their logo is a is a is a red hand, uh, but I'm drinking a peanut butter milk stout. So one of the things that we've learned, you and I have had beers together before. We had beers together in Louisville at a Louisville Bats game uh, and at that brewery right there outside the ballpark. And of course, we've uh, shared some drinks uh, during that Alabama road trip that we took when we saw the Rocket City Trash Pandas. And of course, your Savannah Bananas at Rickwood Field. We shared beers. I don't recall both of us drinking heavy, dark stouts at the same time, possibly because it was summertime, possibly because we were at baseball games. Well, at the games themselves, it's hard to get a good dark beer. And so I'll just normally have a quote unquote regular beer, you know, a Bud Light or Coors Light or Miller Light or not light, but Coors, <laughs> you know, the the American beers. The, the banquet famous, beers. Right. Um I'm fine with having those at a ball game. Again, you mentioned it being summertime, it being hot, and those beers are nice and refreshing on on such uh, occasions. I am happy to have 
a stout or a porter or also, I really love Scottish ales. And those are hard to find. What have you chosen to display from your work behind you there? Okay, for our listeners, um, in my office, there's a display area. There's shelves and hooks where jerseys hang, shelves for, for caps. And that was meant to display some of the stuff that I've designed. But I end up getting so many caps, mainly samples that are sent to me for embroidery approval purposes. And I have long ago run out of space for displaying all of them. So behind me is is supposed to be a conference table. Uh, and it's covered with baseball caps just because I have no place else to put them. To answer your question, what's there? Let, let's We won't go through all of them. I've got the Hudson Valley Renegades Copa de la Diversión cap, um, three Savannah Banana caps, a Fort Myers Miracle batting practice cap. The original classic Fort Myers Miracle logo. There Do I see a, a, am I looking at a an Iowa caucuses? Yes. So yeah. you did both the New Hampshire primaries and the Iowa caucuses. You know what? I never thought about the fact that I did both of those, but um, but yes. And so if uh, if somebody wants to do maybe the like Fredericksburg Nationals, an alternate identity for the the uh, Fredericksburg presidential elections or something like that, I'm your. How man. about this? How about this? How about the Jackson General Election? <laughs> Well, I did the Jackson Generals identity. That's what I'm so. saying. This is there's a there's a theme here. We could we could uh, tag on to that. The Jackson Generals may they rest in peace. Indeed. So just seeing that you you know you have these hats behind you, you know these are these are all identities that you've created. When we went to that game in in Louisville, you showed up head to toe. Well, not head to toe. You you had a hat and a <laughs> and a jersey on for the Savannah Bananas. How often will you wear? things that you designed out there in the world just because you like the designs rarely mm. and here's i know that probably comes as a surprise to you and to your listeners but the reason for that is because i don't go by design i go by comfort for mm. whatever reason i have a either the size or shape of my head makes New era 5150 caps, not particularly comfortable for me. Okay. So even though I've got hundreds of them here in my office and others at home, um, I rarely, rarely wear them. I've put one or two or three on when we're doing a certain podcast and I've got a cap that uh, that tends to have some connection to that, that particular episode. Um, but... When I need to wear a baseball cap, the cap I wear most often is a University of Virginia. Virginia, listen to me talking like a New Yorker, which is what I, Virginia. I am by birth. Um, Virginia, yeah, Virginia, University of Virginia cap. My my son graduated undergrad from the University of Virginia. My wife grad uh, went to law school there. I also really love that logo. Mm -hmm. But what I love the most about that cap is it's the most comfortable cap I have. So when I need to wear a cap, I put that one on. Why I chose to wear the bananas cap and jersey when we met up for that game here in Louisville 
I wanted to put something on that was because I figured you guys would be wearing branded stuff. So I wanted yeah. to put something on. Did you wear that same jersey? I'm trying to remember the picture. Yes. Um, you wore when that we same were, jersey when, when we saw the bananas at Rickwood yeah. Field. Same jersey, same cap. Same jersey. I have a question for you about that. So now I'm, I'm remembering that day. Uh, we were hanging out uh, down the first baseline and it was between innings. And there was sort of a commotion in the stands, and I and I realized it was because there was a ball coming our way. The the catcher for the bananas had thrown one of these yellow baseballs. Uh, it was sailing our way. I looked up, grabbed it out of the air, snatched it out of the air with my left hand. It was such a satisfying feeling to catch a like to catch a ball on a big arc like that with your bare hand, right in front of Donnie Wise's glove. I apologize, Donnie, for <laughs> catching that right in front of you, and then. You know, next section over, there was a kid. I just tossed him the ball because that's sort of a, a habit of mine. Have you ever caught a foul ball? Have you ever gotten a ball from a player or whatever? What's your philosophy on? Do you give it to a kid? Do you keep it? I have caught a ball. Yeah. On more than one occasion. I have never caught one in a major league game. And I've mm -hmm. been in many major league games and I still daydream about catching a ball at a major league game i caught i caught one at at a game at slugger field and we were in a suite and but we were sitting in the stadium seats in front of the the suite and so right in front of where the we were sitting there was a walking aisle and the ball hit the concrete that was below us but you know in part of that walking aisle hit that carrying off of that hit the railing in front of that carried up in the air and right into my hands it was the darndest thing oh um and my son casey who at the time he's my younger son but at mm -hmm. the time was eight nine ten years old um I immediately gave the ball to my son. Well, well, of course. But then during during the the game, he was uh he was misbehaving. He was mm. like taking peanuts and like I don't remember exactly what it was, like flicking them off of this this concrete wall, the top <laughs> of this wall and like and and I I said to him, "Casey, you need to stop doing that." Yeah. And he would stop for a little while and then start doing it again. Yeah. And then he, I, I warned him again, and then finally I said, "Casey, if you if you do that again, I I'm 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 going to take that ball away from you." Sure. And he did it again, and oh, I took the ball away. And to this day, <laughs> I I actually feel I feel I did what I needed to do, but I still yeah. feel horrible. About it. What happened to the ball? I kept it. Oh, okay. And, and at some point, I used that ball for somebody as a ball for somebody to autograph. And I couldn't tell you who that, that was. So. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a great story. My brother has kind of an opposite story of that where he has very, very fancy seats at Philadelphia Phillies games. And there was one time there was a foul ball. He's three rows behind home plate. There was a foul ball that went straight up in the air and then straight down in front of my brother. Like, like the only angle that could ever get a ball to my brother in these seats because there's the net there, right? So it had to go straight up and then like right back down the chute. It bounced in front of my brother and then bounced straight back up through the into the air through his hands. 
And my nephew, who was pretty little at the time, but who was also sitting in these very fancy seats, was very sad to have missed out on the opportunity for a foul ball. And so the ushers, who took very good care of the patrons in these seats, brought a ball to my nephew, which they then took home and put on a little uh, in a little case. And my brother refers to it as the ball of shame because he missed that foul ball that he should have caught. So <laughs> that is. Well, speaking of not catching foul balls, I was in another bats game. This was with my sister Debbie, and on this day we went to a day game during the week at at Louisville Slugger Field, and because it was a day game during the week, it was a relatively small crowd, so we were able to move wherever our seats were we didn't sit in where our tickets were we were able to go to the first row right behind the dugout one point during the game the batter squared to bunt instead of bunting it in fair territory and the play plays out it skipped off like just barely touched the top of his bat so what it did was all it did was redirect the ball directly at us. <laughs> so this was still going, I think, 80 plus miles an hour, yeah. coming right at us. My only thought was protect your sister. Mm. And the ball skipped off the dugout roof. We're sitting oh, right in the dugout. So, so I don't have like a good play on it. So I put up both my hands and I was able to block it and it bounced back onto the field. How did your hand then, feel after that? It's not important how my hand felt. It's oh. how I felt uh. because I got booed for no. not catching the ball. <laughs> and it's like, you're booing me? That was just not just self-preservation, but present preservation of my family. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, my first thought was I protected my sister. My next thought was I'm getting booed for this. So... <laughs> I'll never forget that. It's like, no, you can't boo somebody for that. That was, you know what? If I caught that ball, skipping off the dugout roof at the speed it was yeah. it was doing it, yeah. then I des I deserve a standing ovation. But for just <laughs> deflecting it out of the way of harm, yeah, I should have at least gotten, if not an ovation, some appreciation. Indeed, that's uh, you. You deserve all the accolades for that. Little did we know that when we embarked on this previously um, unprecedented podcast where we don't actually have a subject, yeah. it's just let's have these talks that we normally talk, that it would be a base a podcast all about catching foul balls. <laughs> Who knew? Hey, well, so here, I do have a question for you. There's one thing that I had in my back pocket for this episode. And that is the font brush script. So I think that every designer has has that like Picadillo font that they don't like. I have been noticing ever since you pointed out, because I think for most designers, like the obvious one is Comic Sans, right? Because it's ludicrous. And then, you know, maybe Papyrus because it's hilarious that they used it in Avatar. Papyrus to me is the font that you use if you've got like, if you're a massage therapist and you put your business on a business card and you put it on a bulletin board at a coffee shop, right? Like that's papyrus for you. Yours was brush script. And I have to say, 
ever since you pointed that out to me, ever since you said that your 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 hang up of a font is is brush script, I have been seeing it everywhere. And sometimes I've even like stopped and sent you pictures. I was actually recently, as uh, as as listeners of this podcast might know, I was recently in Laos, which is on the other side of the planet from where I am right now. It's over there by Vietnam and Cambodia and Thailand. And I was, you know, walking through the the streets of Luang Prabang, Laos, and sure enough, there's brush script on a sign outside a store. I almost took a picture and sent it to you, except it, for you, it would have been the middle of the night, and I didn't want to text you at like three in the morning with, "Hey, look at I found brush script." Why brush script? Are there other fonts? Are there other design peccadillas that you have uh, that uh, you know that we can talk about on on this free form episode? Brush script is the script used by used oftentimes for sports and more specifically baseball scripts yeah by people and i'll put in quote designers with air quotes here <laughs> who don't know any better yeah okay it's it's there's nothing wrong with it as far as it's how well it's done it is a perfectly fine script. It's just been used so many times and it's an existing script. So it's not custom mm -hmm. and it's really not a baseball font. Mm. There are so many scripts in baseball, but I wouldn't say that any of them really are brush scripts, except when people use the font brush script. So, and similar to that, also in the world of sports branding, there's this font, tell me if you're familiar with it, called, it's not a script, it's called Serpentine. Are you, mm. are you familiar with that? I am. I thought you were going to say Ballpark Wiener, but I am also familiar with Serpentine. There is one called Ballpark Wiener that I see all the time. Well, I'm not familiar with Ballpark Wiener, but I do know that when I hear that name, it made me giggle. <laughs> it did. I saw you <laughs> giggle. I saw, I saw it happen. Serpentine is a font that has the, the small little pointy serifs like copper plate has. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. some people refer to them as copper plate serifs, but there's an actual word for them. Yeah. And the serpentine font is kind of like a squared off font, but with rounded edges and then these these little pointy serifs. And I wish I've people could that. see, by the way, the the contortions that you are going through with your arms and your hands to, to, to try to describe the serifs on this serpentine yeah. font. Uh, we're going to take a we're going to take a, a, an interlude, a brief interlude here, Dan, and we'll be right back after this important message. Do you have messages? No, I don't have messages, but what that was just now, Dan, was an excuse for me to pour a second beer. And uh, now I am on the uh, Horse and Dragon uh, Brewery, which is a, brew a brewery here in Fort Collins. And they do one of my all-time favorite beers. It's called Sad Panda, and it is yet another stout because it's Colorado, and it's December, and it's cold, and I'm drinking dark beers. So Sad Panda from Horse and Dragon is, is my second beer. I was getting ready to ask you, Dan, if you had other design hangups, other things that you notice out there in the world that you think other people don't. Mine, I have to say, is letter spacing. When I see bad letter spacing, it just it drives me crazy, and I think it's something that people don't notice, and and uh, you know, unless they're in the field. Is there something 
in particular that you see out there in the visual environment that drives you crazy? Uh, you you've answered my question by by stating what drives you so crazy: letter spacing, oh. otherwise known as kerning, in the in design speak. It has to do with the space between letters, the okay. spacing between letters, and. Uh, I am a major stickler for letter spacing. I actually, there are other other sports branding professionals who will contact me when they're working on something, mm. and they will ask. They will even send me the file and say, "Will you please letter space this wow. for me?" So wow. that that's happened on multiple occasions. Because now, it's more it's more art than science. Letter spacing. Right, because it's not literally how far is this letter from the letter next to it compared to that letter and the letter right. next to the next one. It's all optics. It, right, because you've got all these weird negative spaces. Like mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you've got the letter N next to the letter H, mm -hmm. you've got these vertical sides and yeah. you then have another letter um the letter whatever yeah. next to it that also has vertical sides it's easy you know yeah. that is something you can measure but yeah, then yeah. you get the letter a let's say mm -hmm. and if those if it's vertical letters parts of the letter are angled now you've got a completely different yeah you, you've got this negative area and then you take the letter l which has a crazy amount of of space or the letter X, which has its own negative areas. Yeah. And what it really all comes down to is it's all visual. Yeah. You have to look at it and what your letter spacing should be consistent throughout. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, I can, I'm not going to name examples because the designers who did this will feel like they're being um, dissed, but there were there were things in major league sports where where word marks for these teams have atrocious letter spacing mm. or the letter spacing is fine except for at the very end where you might have an L next to an I don't know an S let's say and it's right. like well everything else was spaced and then you've got this giant space <laughs> there because of that because man. L is the worst letter in yeah. the alphabet from a, a, a letter spacing standpoint. Objectively so, speaking, L is the worst letter in the alphabet, just <laughs> objectively. But without L, you would not have the the quartet that I love so much, Elemento. If I were a <laughs> rap artist, my <laughs> rap name would be Elemento. <laughs> I like that very much. The uh, having other designers turn to you for their letter spacing needs, though, is quite the accolade. That's I remember in grad school, there were so many tricks and techniques that that designers used to try to do that, where like you you'd visualize balloons between the letters or you would cover up the bottom half of the letter or they would turn the letters upside down so that they could, you know, see them objectively. It was always something that like no two designers would agree on the letter spacing of uh, especially capital letters like lowercase letters i feel like they're a lot easier to letter space but well, capital letters which is usually what you're dealing with in a word mark are a lot harder to work with listeners we're getting into some design minutiae here oh man and it's 
I was just yesterday on my walk to work, I was listening to the most recent episode of the Baseball by Design podcast with Paul Caputo, host, and Todd Radom, guest, talking about more baseball design minutia, the, <laughs> the upside down, backwards, wrongly rotated apostrophe in the Baltimore Orioles O apostrophe S logo. It's loathsome. <laughs> in speaking about that apostrophe, you, you asked me what my theory was for why that apostrophe was wrong. And mm -hmm. my immediate answer was human fallibility. Somebody yeah. just made a mistake. Yeah. Under the heading of human fallibility falls something Dan Simons said when you asked me about if I had ever done a, a logo with apostrophes in it. Mm -hmm. And the first one I mentioned was the logo for what I said was a collegiate summer league team, the Birmingham Bells. Oh, I, you didn't say the Bellingham Bells? You said Birmingham? I, Yep, I thought I said Bellingham. Oh, that's but when funny. I listened to the podcast yesterday morning, I I literally I was so beside myself for <laughs> it's like, how did you I, I my first thought was why did you say Birmingham? But I immediately thought we've talked about Birmingham so sure. much because of this great trip that you, Ranger Amy, Anna Di Tommaso, and myself had. To Birmingham. We've talked about it before. We talked about it on this episode. Um, it's just very top of mind for me. So I guess I've just got Birmingham on the brain. Well, I, I remember on that road trip, you know, we got to, you picked us up, you picked Ranger Amy and me up from the airport and we drove up to uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas game in Madison. And I remember in the car, we were just chatting, right? Like we were chatting about sort of whatever. And I thought, I wish I were running a microphone right now because this would be a great episode and that's essentially what this episode of the podcast has been if you can imagine this episode of the of the podcast extrapolated to like 48 hours that was our our alabama road trip there so i know that we're talking about trying to find another time in 2024 to get to a, a ball game the three of us together the four of us with ranger amy and anna di tomaso and uh, you and me we haven't formalized those plans yet. So, and I'll tell you, I do have some plans right now for 2024 already. Uh, one of my Christmas presents for Ranger Amy is I have purchased tickets to the London series. We're going to go see. Oh, that's amazing. We're going to go see the Phillies play the Mets in London oh, in, uh, in wow. June. <laughs> have you been to London before? Not since 1999. It's been a long time. My wife, AJ, who I've mentioned in this episode, and I'm going to imagine I've mentioned her previously, um, she lived from, I don't know, the age of two and a half to seven, something like that, in London. So, but I had never been there until earlier this year when I went on my first trip to London with my wife, AJ, and I am completely in love with London. So the, the thought of Somebody, A, going to London, which I fell in love with, and B, going to see their favorite team playing mm. in London in the London series. What a great trip. Oh, I, you got beer number two. All right. Yes. I'm up, this is the – now, beer number two, I still have a couple of sips left of beer number one, my, my Brooklyn Brewery Black Chocolate Stout. This one is Founders Brewing, and this one is a Scott – 
Scotch Ale. And this one is called, pardon my French, Dirty Bastard. <laughs> Dirty Bastard. I like it. With a logo, a uh, little known fact designed by famous designer Paul Rand. <laughs> okay, maybe that's not true. I don't know. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't say this is Paul Paul Rand's, but uh, and and of this beer, right on the label, it says rich caramel notes, malty sweetness. It's like, how could you not want one of these? It sounds here's delicious. One, here's one of the things I love so much about my wife AJ. Most, I, I, I am generalizing here. I don't know about Ranger Amy, but most women do not like darker, heavier beers. Mm. My wife loves beer. She loves ciders. She loves fruity things. But she also really likes darker, heavier beers. And somebody, if you saw her, you would never peg her for somebody who would drink a beer like that. And I get to go out with her and share beers like that with her. I love that. Ranger Amy only likes beers with labels designed by Joseph Mueller Brockman. She's uh, she's very, very particular. Maybe David Carson, if she's really feeling adventurous. Uh, <laughs> Ranger Amy does like a dark beer, actually. And um, I uh, I like that because then we go we get to go out and we get to share dark beers. I We're, we're at a certain point here. We're going to turn to I know that you have we have we've prepared very little for this episode, but we did mention or you did mention that you have a Studio Simon Stumper prepared for this episode. So we are going to to keep in the tradition of of Baseball by Design, the podcast, and have a Studio Simon Stumper here at some point. Uh, I'm guessing that that Stumper is not going to be about famous graphic designers who have designed beer labels. Uh, it's so weird you mentioned that because that's exactly what the Stumper <laughs> is. It's almost as if you knew that's where what I was going to be doing. Famous graphic uh, designers who caught foul balls and gave them to kids. You know, for for our listeners, I want to point out that I was the one who went to Paul and and suggested the possibility of me doing a stumper at the end of each podcast. Mm. What I didn't consider when I I made that suggestion was that I would need to do it a second podcast and a third podcast a fourth <laughs> podcast maybe i thought about that much but i certainly didn't think about what we're close to if not at a year mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. doing these yeah and that's one a week yeah um, now you might think that it doesn't take up that much time and maybe in the whole scheme of things it doesn't but i've been really really busy and i haven't had time to like clear the leaves off of my front lawn. I didn't have the, I haven't, I did not put up holiday decorations outside our house this year because I just have not had time. And I, I've, I've worked like the last seven straight weekends. Um, but I don't want this streak to end. I don't want there to be yeah. an episode of the Baseball by Design podcast where Paul has to say, uh, I'm sorry, but due to uh, how busy Dan is or any yep. other extenuating circumstances, there'll be no Studio Simon Stumper. <laughs> I committed to this, and when I commit to something, I commit to it. You and sure do, and I know that you put a lot of work into these. And you know, I can only imagine you know you going to AJ and saying, "I'm sorry, we're not going to have." 
Christmas tree this year because I am rewatching Fear Strikes Out so that I can come up with a baseball by design studio Simon Stumper about Jimmy Pearsall. Are you going to watch? Are you going to try to watch Fear Strikes Out? I am. Yes. I didn't realize I'm just seeing this now that Fear Strikes Out uh, was uh, in 1957. I always thought it was a, a more recent movie than that. And it's also going to cost me three dollars and seventy nine cents uh, on Amazon Prime. Okay. <laughs> In the meantime, happen. let's go to Studio Simon Stumpers here for on this special holiday edition of Baseball by Design. Okay. Well, this is a special holiday edition, mm. but holidays have certainly not been the theme of this. So there really was no theme. Now we ended up speaking about certain things, mainly about catching foul balls at baseball. Foul balls, brush Letter spacing and yeah. ad scripts, yeah, and, and all that. Um, Do you know what one of my favorite little bits of graphic design minutia is, graphic design trivia, is why uppercase letters are called uppercase letters and lowercase letters are called lowercase letters, which is back in the days before computers and you had trays of metal type, they would keep the capital letters literally on the uppercase above the shelf where they were working, and the lowercase letters were literally in a shelf below the, the place where they were working. Well, speaking of wonderful little bits of trivia, <laughs> you telling that story reminds me of actually a baseball story where I was for one season, and this would have been a it was the strike season, 1994, I believe. Was that yeah, a strike season? Absolutely. It was the year okay. the Montreal Expos were going to win the World Series. I worked for the Los Angeles Dodgers from 1996 through 2001. So this was prior to me even knowing I would someday work for the Dodgers. And this is when we were living in Los Angeles. AJ and I bought, I don't remember if it was I don't think it was half. I think we bought like a quarter of the season and we had great seats. We were on Dodger Stadium has four levels. You have the field level, the mezzanine level, the sort of the upper deck, and then they have an upper, upper deck. So we're on the mezzanine level, just above the field level, which frankly, from a vantage standpoint, probably gives you the best view of the game. And we were between home plate and third base so that's the dodgers dugout side closer to home plate so really good seats close down we were right next to the players family and girlfriend section the so I, I even remember like sitting there with with raul mondesi's family there and raul mondesi jr who is now in the major leagues Raul Montesi Jr. was there like as a four or five-year-old, or I don't know how old he was, but he wasn't the major leaguer he is today. But anyway, we were in those seats, and I don't remember how this came up, but we were talking about the, the, the term can of corn. Now, do you know the story of that? Or I think you've told this story on this podcast about the, the story that I remember is that in the old days in shops, there were shelves of things that you couldn't always get to and way up high. There was literally like, that's where the can of corn was kept. And the shop owner had like a little hook where you would pull it 
and then they had to catch it after it fell off the shelf. So they were pulling it. They were literally pulling a can of corn off a shelf, and then you would catch it before, you know, obviously it splattered right. all over the ground. Exactly. And they would actually catch it. You know, if you look at uh, uh, general store owners of, of that day and age, they often were wearing um, aprons mm -hmm. and they would like hold their apron out almost like a like catching somebody jumping off a roof, you know, like as a parachute, yeah. not a parachute, but you know what I'm talking about. I do. Hopefully. Have you ever caught somebody jumping off a roof? You know it. All the time. It's happened, it actually happened three times today on the way home from work. As as it's going to. It's just, it, it happens all <laughs> They're always jumping so, off of roofs. <laughs> so anyway, they catch it in their aprons, and, and that's where the term can of corn comes from. And when I was telling this story, when, when I finished telling this, this story, somebody sitting near us was wondering where that term came from. I knew the answer because I'm a geek. And when I finished telling this story, I finished it up by saying, ergo, can of corn. And to <laughs> this day, that was 1994, doing the math, 30, almost 30 years ago. Um, my wife still teases me about <laughs> using the term ergo in conversation with somebody. It's a great, I, I love it. I love it. Now you mentioned that you worked at Dodger. Well, you worked for the Dodgers. Did you work at Dodger stadium? Oh, I did indeed. So that and was your was place of work. I've been to Dodger stadium three times. It's a terrific place to watch a ball game. I really enjoy seeing a, a ball game there. I learned on my most recent trip there that the colors of the seats are meant to evoke the colors of the beach, you know, sand at the beach and water of the ocean. Is that consistent with what you know about that place? Um, I have not heard that, but that oh. makes perfect sense. You know, that that building, that building, it's not a building, that stadium was, was built under the direction of Hall of Famer Walter O'Malley. Walter O'Malley was, was a visionary. You know, he, he, envisioned bringing baseball major league baseball to the west coast he created the stadium that even though now it's the second oldest stadium in the national league behind wrigley field you wouldn't think of dodger stadium as in the same um chronological category as um as wrigley field and really it's not because wrigley field opened in 19 the 1910s i don't remember the exact year can you name the third oldest National League stadium? It'll be the answer is shocking. Um, no, but it's going to be something much more recent. So it is, it is Coors Field in wow. Denver. Wow, that is shocking. Yeah, but but that but that goes to show that even though Dodger Stadium opened in the 1960s as opposed to the 1910s when Wrigley Field opened, there just aren't old stadiums left right. anymore. But Dodger Stadium, even though it's approximately 60-year-old stadium, it's still looked at as an absolute gem. Yeah, it's and, a beauty. It's a great um, place to watch a game. And so think about Walter O'Malley, whose vision for the stadium, it was his vision for the stadium. And to this day, it's still this destination because of its beauty and it's 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 interesting visually. Mm -hmm. Um it's it's just a tremendous place. And the fact that I got to call that my working home for five, exactly, I was there six seasons, five years. Um, 
is, I, I'm, I, I'm so blessed to have been able to do that. As a matter of fact, I remember one time, you know, games, night games would start at 7 p.m. thereabouts. Uh, the games back then took about three hours. So you're, it ends at 10 to 11 o'clock. And then I worked in the merchandise department. They had to close up all the stand, the merchandise stands. They had to count the money. And by the time it was time to leave, it was, it was pretty late. And I remember walking out one night with a coworker of mine. We were the last ones, at least from our department, walking out, closing that door and lock. And I'm turning the key in the lock. And it hit me. I'm locking up Dodger Stadium. <laughs> it was it was kind of a surreal experience that to this day I'll never forget. And I was, you know, there's this thing that you say, I'm the luckiest boy on earth. I was the luckiest boy on earth. I had the opportunity to work for a storied franchise in one of the greatest cathedrals in sports. And as a big baseball fan, as I think you guys might have mm. caught in that I am, um, how how lucky can somebody be? Pretty incredible story. I, what a, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to go to any ballpark every single day, let alone Dodger Stadium, which even as a Phillies fan, I acknowledge is a, a cathedral of the game. Dan, we've been talking for a while. We knew we would. We're a couple of beers in. My glass is empty. And so I think that means it is time to turn to you to wrap us up with this week's Studio Simon Stumper. It's got to be like the 45th of these that we've done here. I mean, honestly, I think it's been about 45, which, as you say, is almost a year. I I can I can't even imagine what this week's Studio Simon Stumper is going to be. Well, because we didn't have a theme going in, I was yeah. thinking, what is the theme going to be? Yeah. And the real reality is it's Paul Caputo speaking mm. with Aunt Simon. Yeah. Um, so I made it about me. <laughs> so here we go. Our studio Simon Stumper tonight. Normally mm. I say today, but yeah. today's the first night. Our studio Simon Stumper tonight asks, which one of these titles is or was not a title bestowed upon me? Two truths and a lie. Is or was it A, Colonel, mm. B, Chef, or C, Professor? <laughs> so... Can I, I don't often ask for clarification on this, but is this, are these informal titles bestowed by friends or, or formal uh, official designations from institutions? Formal official designations, not by friends, not as a nickname or anything okay. like that. Colonel, like the Cedar Rapids colonels for whom you uh, developed a logo. Chef. Wait, like wait, 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 let's back up. No, it's nothing like the Cedar Rapids Colonels because we're not talking about a corn kernel, which is what the Cedar <laughs> Rapids Colonel is. We're talking about the military right. designation. Right. And it's not always military. Oh. Mm. Uh, but it is, it, de it derives from the military. Okay. Chef, as in someone who is a, uh, a culinary artist. And what, and what was the last one? Professor. Professor. 
man, I, I'm trying to bust out. Maybe it's the two dark beers in. Maybe it's the fact that it's seven o'clock at night here in Fort Collins, Colorado. I am going to say, Professor, I can see you. I can. I. I there's an instructive manner about Dan Simon. I can. I can see a situation where you would be offering a training, offering some sort of of coursework, some sort of learning opportunity. So I'm going to say, Professor, is a possibility that that's one of the two truths. Chef, you know, so many designers they 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 love the 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 way things are meant to come together, the way various elements are meant to come together to create a larger masterpiece, you know, type and image and 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 color and line weights and and you know, one element balancing against another. So I can see how a designer as chef would work. Colonel feels so specific to me. It feels so, so military. I know that you just said it doesn't have to be military, that it derives from the military. Dan, I don't think that you have been a professor in a college setting. I believe that that's where they would call you professor. I'm going professor. Final answer. That's the lie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Why? <laughs> you were very... From somebody who was trying to suss this out, I know immediately became very determined. What made you so certain that I'm not, am not, or was not a professor? I bailed on professor because I feel like professor is reserved for you are in a in a college or university setting. I don't recall having ever spoken to you about a situation where you were conducting courses in a college or university setting. And that to me is the only official designation of a professor. Because of what you know about me and how I am and who I am, do you feel that I, you just don't see me in an educational setting? Not at all. No, I could absolutely see you in, a, in an educational setting. I can see you in a, in a bow tie, at the front of the course, uh, I, you know, that absolutely I can see you instructing a group of students, but I, I, I just feel like if that were something in your past, after 40 some episodes of baseball by design studio, Simon Stumpers, plus, you know, our relationship dating back probably a decade talking, uh, you know, about the work that you do for sportslogos.net articles, and especially considering that I grew up uh, with academics. My father was a professor of philosophy at Villanova University. My mom was an art teacher. I, I feel like maybe this would have come up. So, you know, and as I get entrenched further into this answer, I feel like if it's wrong, that, that you know, the stakes are super high right now. Now the stakes are not high. What I will <laughs> say is this. You and I have indeed been friends for... It's got to be at least a decade, if not longer. Right. Yeah. Um, we've gotten to know each other over the years to the extent that we've traveled with each other and we will be traveling again. But I suppose there are things about me you just don't know. <laughs> so, um, Paul, I was indeed a professor. Really? I taught one semester of design at Cal State Northridge. While you were with the Dodgers. 
this was post Dodgers mm. just before I moved to Louisville. So this would have been spring semester of 2002. So I was Professor Simon. Now, nobody called me that. Um, they called me <laughs> certain things. So I, I was indeed a professor. I Were was you also, did you also get to dress up as Maddie the Matador from Cal State Northridge? Um, is that what it's called? Maddie the Matador is the uh, Cal State Northridge mascot. Okay. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this in any of our previous discussions, but a very, very, very close friend of mine is a fellow sports branding professional named Joe Bosack. Oh, Joe yeah. Bosack did what is the current athletics brand identity for Cal State Northridge. Yeah. So I can't, he didn't do the mascot, but whatever the matador in their current logo, logo suite is a Joe Bosack design. Joe's one of the best sports branding professionals ever. Um, I'm dying to know which one's the lie though, chef or colonel. Okay, let's let's do this then. Now we're narrowing it down to two. So this is that 50% thing. Oh no, now I'm gonna go over two. <laughs> let's see if you go over two. It's between <laughs> chef and colonel. Uh, I'm gonna say chef. You uh, <laughs> you you steered me away from Colonel a couple of times. I'm following my instincts. I'm gonna say no one ever called you chef. Professor. I actually felt like I was I was I was trying not to steer you towards Colonel. Uh -huh. but I was defending Colonel on purpose <laughs> because Paul, I am officially a Kentucky Colonel. What does that mean? What is a Kentucky Colonel? And I did go over two. This is why I should not drink before doing uh, Studio Simon Stumpers. What is a Kentucky Colonel? This is like um, Seth Meyers does this thing, or he used to do this thing called day drinking. Um, are you at all familiar with that? <laughs> oh, for sure. Am I okay. familiar with day drinking? That is the question. No, no, no. Not are no, you I familiar don't. with day drinking. Are you familiar <laughs> with the fact that Seth Meyers has yes. done segments on that so yeah. this is this is night drinking <laughs> for paul so um nope i there is i am a member of the honorable order of kentucky colonels now mm. you might think okay well what does that really mean to be part of the honor not part a member of the honorable order of kentucky colonels you must be nominated by the governor of the state of kentucky and I was nominated by Paul Patton, who at the time I was nominated, this goes back to the early 2000s. Um, Paul Patton was the governor of Kentucky, um, the 59th governor of Kentucky from 1995 till 2003. And he was the first governor in Kentucky to be elected to a second term in 200 years. Now, you might be asking, well, what does that mean? The Kentucky Colonels, it started as it was a military thing, legitimate uh, colonels in the army or whatever. Um, it then morphed into something more ceremonial, where you were still deemed a colonel, but you were there for kind of show. Uh, and it then morphed into a charitable organization. The Honorable Order of Kentucky Colonels now is people who are doing good for the state of Kentucky. It's become a charitable organization. And 
if if they can present, they being the people who pose to the the governor, here's why this person should be a Kentucky colonel. They're saying why this person's a good person and how they will do good for the state of Kentucky. And I was deemed worthy of being a Kentucky colonel. And what I am not is a chef. Um, <laughs> I have no sense of smell. And oh. as a result, I can't, I do cook, but I can't cook and flavor things by taste because my sense of taste is diminished due to not having a sense of smell. So the last thing I think I would ever be is a chef. So that is the answer to today's studio Simon Stumper. I thought for sure that, you know, maybe like when you were 16 years old, you were going to have worked in a Burger King or something. And I would have thought though, I might've been given it away because I live in the state of Kentucky where there's a certain colonel who made a certain <laughs> dish that was fried and made of poultry that uh, you might have thought, well, you're in Kentucky, uh, this guy named Colonel Sanders. Uh, you know, we, Colonel Sanders is going to feature prominently in a forthcoming episode of Baseball by Design on the Han Shin Tigers uh, because there was a, an incident with Tigers fans who – threw a statue of Colonel Sanders into the river in 1985 after, uh, as they were celebrating a championship for their team, uh, I, which resulted in a 38-year curse being bestowed upon their team. I am very interested to listen to that episode, to frankly, to hear the story, but more specifically, to so that I know why there is a statue of Colonel Sanders in Japan. <laughs> well, stay tuned for that forthcoming episode of Baseball by Design. In the meantime, Dan, I guess all good things must come to an end. Dan, thank you for making 2023 so much fun for the Baseball by Design podcast. Thank you for essentially being a co-host to this podcast. I know that you reject that uh, that title, but it's been a pleasure getting to hang out with you every single week. I appreciate all of the time and the effort that you put into Baseball by Design. And I hope everyone appreciates, in spite of the silliness of this episode, what an incredible graphic designer you are and, and how important you are to minor league baseball fans everywhere. Dan, it's an honor to be your friend, and I look forward to whatever road trip we end up taking in 2024. Well, I know it's an oft-used saying, but when I say the pleasure is mine, I truly mean it. So thank you for having me. Um, I always, I, I look, not only do I enjoy these segments that we do, the when I'm a guest, when I'm doing my stumpers or whatever, um, I look, I not only enjoy them, I look forward to them. So thank you. Well, here's to another year of Baseball by Design. Dan, thank you. Appreciate you so much, and we'll see you on the next episode in 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. See ya.